My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 165, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Isaiah 18 and 19, Nahum 1 through 3, and Proverbs 10, verses 25 to 32. Isaiah 18. Woe to the land of whirring wings, along the rivers of Cush, which sends envoys by sea, and papyrus boats over the water. Go, swift messengers, to a people tall and smooth-skinned, to a people feared far and wide, an aggressive nation of strange speech, whose land is divided by rivers. All you people of the world, you who live on the earth, when a band is raised on the mountains, you will see, and when a trumpet sounds, you will hear it. This is what the Lord says to me. I will remain quiet and will look on from my dwelling place like shimmering heat in the sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the blossom is gone and the flower becomes a ripening grape, he will cut off the shoots with pruning knives and cut down and take away the spreading branches. They will all be left to the mountain birds of prey and to the wild animals. The birds will feed on them all summer, the wild animals all winter. At that time, gifts will be brought to the Lord Almighty, from a people tall and smooth-skinned, from a people feared far and wide, an aggressive nation of strange speech, whose land is divided by rivers. The gifts will be brought to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord Almighty. A prophecy against Egypt. See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble before him, and the hearts of the Egyptians melt with fear. I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians. Brother will fight against brother, neighbor against neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. The Egyptians will lose heart, and I will bring their plans to nothing. They will consult the idols and the spirits of the dead, the mediums and the spiritists. I will hand the Egyptians over to the power of a cruel master, and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. The waters of the river will dry up, and the riverbed will be parched and dry. The canals will stink, the streams of Egypt will dwindle and dry up, the reeds and rushes will wither. All the plants along the Nile at the mouth of the river. Every sown field along the Nile will become parched with blow away and be no more. The fishermen will groan and lament. All who cast hooks into the Nile, those who throw nets on the water, will pine away. Those who work with combed flax will despair. The weavers of fine linen will lose hope. The workers in cloth will be dejected, and all the wage earners will be sick at heart. The officials of Zoan are nothing but fools. The wise counselors of Pharaoh give senseless advice. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am one of the wise men, a disciple of the ancient kings? When are you wise men now? Let them show you and make known what the Lord Almighty has planned against Egypt. The officials of Zoan have become fools. The leaders of Memphis are deceived. The cornerstones of her people have led Egypt astray. The Lord has poured into them a spirit of dizziness. They make Egypt stagger and all that she does, as a drunkard staggering around in his vomit. There is nothing Egypt can do, head or tail, palm branch or reed. 
and that day the Egyptians will become weaklings. They will shudder with fear at the uplifted hand that the Lord Almighty raises against them. And the land of Judah will bring terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom Judah is mentioned will be terrified because of what the Lord Almighty is planning against them. In that day, five cities in Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty. One of them will be called the City of the Sun. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its borders. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender, and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and in that day, they will acknowledge the Lord." They will worship with sacrifice and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third along with Egypt and Assyria a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Nahum chapter 1, a prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum and Elkoashite. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and clouds of the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up, and he makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look, they're on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress. Watch the road. Brace yourselves. Marshal all your strength. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob, like the splendor of Israel, though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines. The shields of the soldiers are red. The warriors are clad in scarlet. The metal on the chariots flashes on the day they are made ready. The spears of juniper are brandished. 
The chariots storm through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. They dart about like lightning. Nineveh summons her picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put in place. The river gates are thrown open, and the palace collapses. It is decreed that Nineveh be exiled and carried away. Her female slaves moan like doves and beat on their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool whose water is draining away. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. The supply is endless, the wealth from all its treasures. She is pillaged, plundered, and stripped. Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble, every face grows pale. Where now is the lion's den, the place where they fed their young? where the lion and lioness went, and the cubs with nothing to fear. The lion killed enough for his cubs and strangled the prey for his mate, filling his layers with the kill and his dens with the prey. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will burn up your chariots in smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on the earth. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard." Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pelt you with filth. I will treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle." All who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is in ruins. Who will mourn for her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? Are you better than Thebes, situated on the Nile with water around her? The river was her defense. The waters her wall. Cush and Egypt were her boundless strength. Put and Libya were among her allies. Yet she was taken captive and went into exile. Her infants were dashed to pieces at every street corner. Lots were cast for her nobles, and all her great men were put in chains. You, too, will become drunk. You will go into hiding and seek refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees with their first ripe fruits when they are shaken. The figs fall into the mouths of the eater. Look at your troops. They are all weaklings. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has consumed the bars of your gates. Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your defenses. Work the clay. Tread the mortar. Repair the brickwork. There, the fire will consume you. The sword will cut you down. They will devour you like a swarm of locusts. Multiply like grasshoppers. Multiply like locusts. You have increased the number of your merchants till they are more numerous than the stars in the sky. But like locusts, they strip the land and then fly away. Your guards are like locusts. Your officials like swarms of locusts. They settle in the walls on a cold day, but when the sun appears, they fly away, and no one knows where. King of Assyria, your shepherds slumber, your nobles lie down to rest. Your people are scattered on the mountains, with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal you, your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall, for who has not felt your endless cruelty? Proverbs 10, verse 25. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever.
as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards to those who send them. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. The prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. The way of the Lord is a refuge for the blameless, but in the ruin of those who do evil. The righteous will never be uprooted, but the wicked will not remain in the land. From the mouth of the righteous come the fruit of wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be silenced. The lips of the righteous know what finds favor, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. Dr. Mackey describes Isaiah 1-12 through as the prophet Isaiah giving God's message of judgment and hope for the city of Jerusalem and Isaiah 13-27 to as God's message of judgment and hope for the nations. So today we are reading from that section where the prophet is bringing accusation and judgment against the nations. But there is also this glimmer of hope at what God will do. He is a God of mercy and restoration. We also read from the book of Nahum, another minor prophet today. We read the whole book. It is also filled with poetry, and it is the prophet Nahum announcing the downfall of one of the first and greatest, as well as the most destructive and violent of empires at this point in history, Assyria, whose capital was Nineveh. Remember how we've read about Jonah being sent to tell about Yahweh, God, and Nineveh, and how Jonah didn't want to go? I think some people think he was afraid, but what biblical scholars have told me or I've read about is that, no, really, he was so upset that God would send him to Nineveh because these people were so cruel, and he saw them as terrible, that he didn't want to go and give God's message there. But God changed his heart, and he went and changed his behavior with the whole giant fish swallowing him and redirecting him. And we also read about Assyria capturing all the northern kingdom and destroying their way of life, the 10 tribes of Israel who lived in the north and had their capital in Samaria. Do you remember that from 2 Kings 17? It tells that tale. It was tragic. The Israelites had lost their home. They were scattered and they were waiting and hoping for the fall of the enemy. But remember, They were consumed, if you will, by this adversary because they had become an adversary themselves for God's will and his ways. So it eventually happened, Assyria's downfall, and is the case for most, if not all, empires' downfall. Depending on how you look at it, Dr. Mackey says it was about 612 BC or 612 years before Jesus Christ. Around 612 BC, the Babylonians rebelled and revolted, taking down the Assyrian Empire. Okay, let's go back, though. In chapter 2, we read about the fall of the capital city of Assyria, Nineveh, and then Assyria as a whole. But Dr. Mackey draws our attention back to chapter 1 with what he describes as an incomplete alphabet poem that starts with God's appearance and glory coming to confront and judge evil among the nations. The book of Micah and Habakkuk have a similar inclusion in their prophet's message of the Word of God. These entries point back to Exodus 34, after the people built and worshipped the golden calf. It reminds us of God's character. The Lord is slow to anger, great in power, and He won't leave evil unpunished. Notice, it doesn't say God will not allow evil at this point. He allows agency at this stage in the story, as He gave it to humans in Genesis 1, verses 26-28. through People are made with this portion of God's power and authority, and one of which is this decision for which we place our heart to worship. 
and how we behave as an act of worship to God or to worship some other idol and to do whatever we want with our behavior. Of course, the Creator created us for His story, and anything else leads us away from His light and truth. It is dark. That's where I see evil creeps in and around. It isn't the quiet darkness of rest and renewal, but dangerous darkness. This is the place where we are affected by evil and affect others with evil. And this, God must respond to. For Genesis 3 forward, it was clear that defection leads to death, separation from a close relationship to God in his special place. I'm thinking back to the Garden of Eden language now, a place where we are called to participate in God's story. What's so interesting about humans is that after a baby is born and receives safety and love, the next thing they need is story, meaning, context. I can't remember who said it, but one researcher said, we are the only creatures that need story, and we are constantly thinking and acting out story. For me, this is both amazing to think that God inwired us for what was going to unfold, but also a powerful reminder to me to center myself around the story God is telling and not put myself at the center of the story or let someone else typecast me or all of creation into the story they are writing. Yes, I believe God called us to be creative and contributors to the story, but there is also a clear plot, a main character, God, His Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And there is a call to be obedient and worshiping Him alone and having integrity in our relationships that point back to Him, to put God on display in our lives, upholding God's justice and righteousness, often resulting in necessitating prodigal generosity. And Dr. Mackey estimates about 80% of the 600-plus laws of the Old Testament are about caring for the oppressed and marginalized, which in that day were the widows, orphans, and slaves. In the poems by Nahum, we are reading this comparison between the fate of the arrogant, violent nations and the fate of God's faithful remnant. God will bring down the violent and arrogant and give refuge to the humble before him. While Nahum later talks specifically about Assyria and Nineveh, in chapter 1, Dr. Mackey points out how it's written in a broader sense, like Isaiah did in chapters 10 and 14. It's characterized in a typecast as the fall of Babylon. And while Babylon hadn't fallen yet, or really risen, it's rising in this story, the concept of Babylon is like the empire kingdom versus Shema and Shalom kingdom. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah references. So the bigger takeaway the prophet Nahum is making is that God is at work in every age and Nineveh's fall, like Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood before that, these are all examples of how God will not allow violent and arrogant empires to endure forever. In chapter 3, verses 1, Nahum points out how the city of Nineveh was built on the innocent blood, and Dr. Mackey describes how violent sown the seeds of its own destruction. Marty Solomon calls them cycles of violence, and there really isn't an off-ramp. Instead, it's an escalation to total destruction. The book ends with the people clapping because everyone has felt the perpetual cruelty of this type of city, nation, and person. The only way out, the only way back, the glimmer of hope is to seek the Lord, repent, and seek His atonement, God's redemption, and then and only then can He show mercy, compassion, standing in the gap for what we deserve and moving us towards restoration with our hearts and behaviors transformed. 
Shema, towards the kingdom of Shalom. If we find ourselves to be the oppressor causing suffering, my prayer is that we repent and, as we read yesterday, rend our hearts, tear them away from what we have been worshiping. And even if it feels like a sacrifice of praise, that we do it, turn our hearts and behaviors back to God, seeking His ways. If we find ourselves being oppressed and suffering, there is hope in this message that humbling ourselves before God and waiting on His timing in His refuge, there will come a day of reckoning, and we will not only be a remnant saved, but God promises restoration towards the flourishing, a renewing towards the blessing and vision, the design He has for His people. A lot to reflect on here. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.